Robidoux. Robidoux oh! right over the boards by Brown, right into the King bench. What a hit. Out to center right, chased down by Brown. Brown with Dowdy. Brown right side. Brown in the slot. Turn, shoots. He scores! <laughs> and the Hawks lose it there. Pass ahead. Across the line. Here is his Brown for the hat trick. He scores! Right side. Kings hold it in. Then a save. Rebound. Score! out of the zone. Suzuki spotted, he had a forward bounce. Oh, look out! Dustin Brown lowers the boom! Here come the Kings on the break. Dustin Brown scores! Um, I guess I would like to start by thanking a few people. Um, but after 18 years, I've realized there are too many, name, too many to name, let alone count. So thank you to the entire LA Kings organization and to anybody and everybody I've crossed paths with through the years. Thank you for your help, your support, and love. Some of you helped me more than you know, so thank you. This decision was a very emotional one for me, but I know it was the right one. I arrived here in LA in 2003 just a kid with a dream. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. If you've listened to the three episodes looking back at the 2012 Stanley Cup win, you already know that back in August, the Kings threw a reunion party to celebrate the 10th anniversary of their Stanley Cup victory. You also know that I went as part of a crew to record some memories from the guys about the cup run. What you probably don't know is that we also talked to all of them about Dustin Brown in anticipation of his jersey retirement. But we didn't talk to Dustin Brown. Not until weeks later. What you're about to hear is the conversation that I had with Dustin Brown. When I heard that I'd be allowed to talk to him, it was meant to be the same format as the interviews we conducted for the Black and White video, which was published earlier this week, and is excellent. I highly recommend it. I expected that we'd get about the same amount of time and material as all the guys at the celebration, 10 to 15 minutes, I wound up talking with Dustin for over 40 minutes. Because it was originally intended to be used for clips, I wasn't mic'd. So you may not always be able to hear what I'm saying, but hopefully you'll see that what I'm saying really isn't important at all. What we got was an amazingly candid and vulnerable conversation with Dustin Brown. We will bring you a collection of those memories, testimonials, and congratulatory messages for Dustin. But today... I wanted to give you a chance to hear about Dustin Brown from Dustin Brown. Do you remember what you had for breakfast the day of Game 6 against the New Jersey Devils? Game 6 is at home. Uh, so we have the breakfast in the lounge at Staples. So it's probably they have this cinnamon toast, French toast. It's probably not really good food for you, but it's really delicious. Is there a good breakfast food for a game day? I mean, if I'm preparing for a game, it's probably just eggs and bacon and toast and something simple like that. If it's a earlier game, um, but back then they had during the playoffs, you get it's just like cinnamon toast casserole. It's, it's weird, good. weird lots of stories about guys bumping into people they knew on the way from the hotel over to the rink or anything like that. Conversation was there anything about that day that stands out? Anybody you saw? Um. 
No, leading up to the from morning to the game, you don't. I don't. Not. It was a pretty normal day. I mean, obviously, a lot of energy when we're walking across just downtown next to Staples. Given the situation, there's a lot of excitement around the building, but you kind of feel that through all throughout playoffs. But there's nothing in particular about that day. There's a story about Joe Montana in one of the Super Bowls. Everybody John Candy. Yes. Uh, Justin Williams' big game six speech was it closer to the Joe Montana moment or closer to like uh, you know Al Pacino and any given Sunday kind of speech? Um, probably more Joe, Joe Montana. Like we're a good team, we're, we deserve to be here type thing. Um, someone who had been there, I'd want it. Uh, it was a probably the right message at the right time because we had kind of that year we had kind of just went through everybody pretty easily. Um, Lost two games in a row, which I think was the first time we had done that in uh, in the playoffs. So um, it was perfect timing. Was that just a put off the gas kind of moment where you were up three nothing again? Played a really good game in game four, and then you go back on the road. I don't even remember game five, to be honest with you. I don't even remember the score. I don't remember anything about game five. I remember game four because it was chance to win it. Good close game. They found. I think they scored two in the third to beat us. Don't quote me on this, but I think both of them were two to one. Were they two to one? I think so. I could have swore there was a three one empty netter, but maybe it was an empty netter. I don't even know. But I just know I just know I remember Kolchuk because it was in the third period on the left dot. He could shoot the puck. It was just a weird goal. And I I for some reason I remember that goal very vividly. Let's go back to the start of that season. Acquire Mike Richards in the offseason, Colin Frazier, everybody's picking the team, you know, to be a contender and then the season doesn't go great. Coaching change, big trade in the trade deadline. Was there a moment in that season where you could feel things turning around? Hmm, I just remember the when Terry got let go. I think we had, you'd have to look it up, but I think we had, uh, I think we had lost back to back home games, one nothing, one nothing, and then went on the road to Boston. And he got let go in Boston. And I just remember um, Johnny came in, did the interim thing for a couple games, and we hired Daryl. Um, and that was probably when things changed for us, quite honestly. When Daryl came in, it was a new voice, a different voice, a pretty demanding voice. Um, then we kind of just kind of got our feet under us with Daryl. Remember, we, we were out of the playoffs. For a while, I mean, we had a pretty good stretch. Again, this is all just guessing game at me for this point. But uh, I remember, like the last 20, 25 games, I don't, we didn't lose more than five or six games. And I was like, that was when we were going in. We were kind of getting to the top of our game right at the perfect time. That it was not that. one moment. It was just like a continuation of just getting better, getting better, getting better, and then got to the point where towards the end of the year, we. I think it was that year we had to i think we clinched with like a game or two left in the season it wasn't like we were sitting there waiting to play the playoffs like we were fighting for our lives from the january on so it was playoff mode all the way through hitting that first series against vancouver they're back-to-back president's trophy winners you got the sedines they're in the cup final the year before you guys were on the run like you said did, you, did it feel like oh no we're the eight seed they're this juggernaut or did you feel like you could take them right off the I can't remember our series against them uh, in the regular season, but I always remember we played them hard. 
we've always played them hard. They've always been a really, ever since I came into the league, they've always been a really good team, but we've always been able to find ways to win, beat them. Um, and I just remember that first game in their building in a Canadian city, like you said, President's Trophy. They had just fallen a game short of the Stanley Cup the year before. We didn't have anybody thinking we were going to win outside of that room. Remember that first game, we played like a really stingy game. And I, the one thing I always remember about game one is Mike Richards just buried Alex Burroughs in front of their bench. I mean, a lot of people talk about that Sedin hit, and I understand why. And I'm like, but there was this other hit here that was right in the beginning of the series that sent a message, I think, to everybody. It was a weird game because we had scored shorthanded goals. It was a pretty exciting first game. And I think when we got to game two, uh, and I don't remember the game very well, but it was like we just came out of there with two two wins. So at that point, you start feeling it. And I mean, game three was a special game for I think the entire organization, especially for myself personally. It's probably the single biggest game in my career. What I'm known for, probably. Um, but it changed. I remember that game. We won one nothing. And at that point, it started to. People started to realize that we got a good team here. When you hit Sadin, did you know who it was? To be honest with you, I, I didn't know in that moment it was a Sadin. And to this day, I still don't know which one I hit. So it's like one of those things. It's, <clears throat> it's the great thing about sports, I guess. When you started the next series against St. Louis, all the rhetoric was these teams are mirror images of each other. St. Louis is just as big as the Kings. They hit just as hard. They play defense just as well. And then you guys sweep them, the first sweep in franchise history. Was it? Did you see them as equals? Did you see them as like a, a, a mirror image of you guys? That series, I have a better recollection of that series because maybe it was... Um, probably when the group probably really started to think about it. But I remember the first 10 minutes of that series, game one, we had, we, it was like playing, we were playing, a, they were playing a different game than us. They were all over us. And I just remember vividly Quickie making two or three humongous saves, and then we came down and scored like a dinky little goal, like a, a crappy goal. And from that moment on, it just, again, we just carved them up. Shorthanded goals, power play goals, four and four. Like we just, every, we beat them on every facet of the game. And it, after that first 10 minutes, that series did not feel close. It might have been close. I don't remember the scores, but it didn't feel close. It felt like we had a hold of that. After the first 10 minutes of the game one, we had a hold of that series the whole time. As a group, we just were super confident and we were performing at a really high level, especially in that series. Everything went really, really well for us that series. There are tons of instances of President's Trophy winners or number one seeds losing in the first round, getting upset. happens all the time. So when you guys beat Vancouver, it was a blast. It was fun. There were a lot of great moments and great stories. But it was potentially just another moment where an eight seed upset a one seed. But in that St. Louis series, it felt like they were constantly losing their minds. And you guys were just even keeled the whole way through. Well, the playoffs are interesting because you get into that situation where, and maybe this is what happened to them, we were supremely confident in our game. 
and anything they did, we had an answer for. And the, when you go up against a team like that, it's, it's frustrating. It's like I've been there before. They're a great team, but we were a better team. And um, there's nothing worse as a competitor, just knowing no matter what you do, you're, you're probably going to get your ass kicked. First round, you have the hit on Asadine. Second round, you scored the empty net goal in game four to secure that series in that sweep. I argue that that is the loudest I've ever I agree. Me and Kobe talk about that because he tackled. I, I remember that game very vividly because I had a goal in the first Came down, shot through, uh, I think it was Peter Angelo and high glove on Elliott. I think Noli scored early in the game. We were up, we, we kind of controlled the game. It wasn't like a tight game. I think my goal was like the fourth, the empty net one was like the fourth goal. I remember I coming down the same side. I came to coming down the bench side, put it in the net, circled to the boards, and I remember coming in and it, it was loud. And then Kobe jumped on me, and it was like pile up, and it was like, it was one of the, I think, one of the unique and really cool moments for, for our group in that run was just that game was, huh, everyone was really excited we beat the Canucks, like you said, but then we sweep the next round. The momentum just keeps building. Andre Kopitar is a large human being. You're a big dude yourself, but when Andre Kopitar comes at you full speed and launches himself in the air to hug you, Um, well, I guess I should say luck because you see it all the time with people celebrating and getting hurt, but he didn't feel that in that moment. He felt pretty light. So, um, yeah, it was a special moment. So now we're on round three, Phoenix Coyotes. They wind up the number three seed. I think that was sort of decided in the last weekend too. Another situation where, oh, they're just as fast as the Kings rebuilding, et cetera, et cetera. And you blink and it's three to nothing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, another opponent that's just totally losing their mind every time you guys sneeze. Yeah, I mean, that's another series that kind of is the blur for me. Um, there's obviously some very big moments in that series, but the first few games are kind of like, you know, games I don't really remember. Uh, I remember specific plays in the games, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it was same thing. People were not expecting us to do well. Um, again, like you said, we jump out to a 3 nothing lead. I mean, even guys in the room are like, well, what the hell? <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty unique situation where we just go up three cob on some pretty good teams, especially this time of year. Um, and I always just remember that series because it was fun because we had a lot of fans. Even when we went there, they had the whiteout and all that. It was a pretty cool environment to play there. But uh, going into an opposing, it's a lot different. Like when you're going into Vancouver, there's not one. <laughs> it's all Vancouver fans. But we had a pretty unique situation where we had a pretty good contingent of fans there. So it was pretty fun to play in that type of atmosphere that late in the postseason and have fans on the road like that. Going into game four against eight, at that point, I think you're 11 and one in the playoffs. You shut them out in game three. Is that all just confidence? I mean, what is the feeling like in the locker room when you're looking around and you're an eight seed, 11 and one in the conference finals? Well, I think um, there's a lot of confidence going into the playoffs, which just carried us through the playoffs. Like I said, I would love to look it up, but I think the last 30 games, we might have lost less than 10 games. 
we were 20. Our record in the last 30 games, I, I might be wrong, but I feel like it was a really impressive record. And we were just clicking on, you know, all assets or all, we were all going. And then you think about, I, in retrospect, you're looking back, we had the same six defensemen from game one to game, that last game. Like lots of things fell in place for that group. That's, I think, part of the reason where it just came to us. Um, and then on the flip side, you just need big moments. And we had a lot of big moments from up and down our lineup throughout um, throughout that playoff run. I remember Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, and Pens. They scored the winning goal, but I think I think they dominated that series of the line. I think they were our best line. If I recall, they had a lot of big moments in that series. So it was like that was the the confidence was the fact that the guy we knew it wasn't going to be me and Kopi every night, or it was going to be our whole group together. We'll find a way. Same thing in um, the next series too. Just, we didn't rely on any one guy. That's why you probably I think Quickie far and away was a Con Smythe winner. But then there was like four or five other guys. Like if Quickie wasn't there, any one of these five guys could probably win it. And that was probably why we. You know, walk through a lot of the teams. I can remember driving to Game Four of the St. Louis series with my dad, and us having a serious conversation about which member of the team was leading the Conn Smythe battle, and thinking how surreal it was that we were talking about. Yeah. In the second round, he was going to win. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, as a player, you just in the moment you're just focusing on like the next game, but I mean, it comes a time when you're starting to just in the playoffs, you're sh- when we're up three nothing and we beat St. Louis four nothing, we're you're kind of like, what the hell is going on here? But then you start to realize how good of a team we had, and everyone was playing really, really well. I think that's probably the most important thing. Is like it wasn't one or two; it was our whole team was playing at a really high level for a long, like that extended period of time. We were just dialed in as a group. Was there anybody that we haven't talked about that you feel doesn't get enough? I mean, we had goal. I just remember Kinger scoring a bunch of goals. I mean, he probably had four or five goals in the playoffs as a rookie player. I mean, five goals doesn't seem like a lot, but <laughs> in playoffs, it's every goal is huge. So I remember just, we had contributions up and down the lineup. So it was, whenever I talk about that team, we had some players that were playing at extremely high levels, and then we had everyone else was just playing really well. Fraz scored a goal in game one of the Stanley Cup final, like a I don't know, what do you have, three, four goals all year? But it's like finding those little spots and goals. I mean, Knowles, I remember Knowles scoring against, I think he scored, the, it was either him or Kinger that scored the first goal in game four against St. Louis, I think. That jump starts us, and it's like I said, big moments by big players throughout. Two guys that didn't contribute during games, but that the team petitioned to have their names included on the cup, Davis Drewski and Kevin Westbrook. What can you talk about their contributions during So, um, both of those guys started or started the year on our team. Um, and remember, with regards to whiskey, he got hurt, did something with his shoulder, and that's when Alec came up and kind of solidified his spot. And I remember he was he was a really good player for us that year, up until he got hurt. And uh, Wesley obviously brings a pretty unique element. Um, and he was there the whole year. Both of those guys were grinding um, and a big part of our team in the regular season. Now, 
kind of a like I said before, those six defensemen that started the playoffs never missed a game, which is I don't know, it seems pretty uncommon to me. So it's like whiskey could have played a game. And then we added some players at deadlines and players that have been a part of our group, you know, are now healthy scratches. And that's kind of how the how it works if you're on a contending season uh, team. So, I mean, both those guys had a huge impact on our team uh, throughout the year. And then it's not like this idea that, like, they're not a – it's – they're right there every day practicing with us, practicing with us uh, and staying out extra. But – they're pulling just as hard, so they didn't get a chance to play uh, due to reasons, but always been a big part of our team. I mean, locked on up's another one, played one game, blocked a shot from Sammy Silo, who is not a fun shot to block. Never played another game for us, but all contributions. Did you keep any souvenirs or mementos from that time? Um, I have my game jersey. Had everyone sign the numbers, so I have all the – Everyone who was on the roster signed it. Um, I think I got a couple pucks. I got a puck maybe from each game. And then we have the replica Stanley Cup thing, but that's, that's about all I've kept. I, have, I think I have my sticks, but... No, I have my sticks that I use. They're up sitting up in my barn in New York. So it's like I'm not much for memorabilia like that, but I kept a few items. Obviously, the jersey is really special, more, more so because I got my teammates' signatures on the back. Um, you know, it's a pretty cool item. These guys get mad at me if I didn't ask this one. Uh, the hit on Roosevelt, is that clean? Time was. I mean, the game's changed now. I'm probably sure that's a penalty, but they're, you know, mad. I think my favorite thing about that is, uh, I always, uh, you know, heat of the moment, a lot of things are said, a lot of things are done. Um, I remember there was something that uh, Mike Smith had said one time right after the game. And I understand the emotions are pretty high, but he said I should be suspended for life. And I, now looking back, I'm like, all right, so let's say like 10 years, that's like an 800-game suspension. And I'm like, hmm, that's pretty funny to think about now. But it was a big moment for, probably a bigger moment for them than it was for us because it was an offside call. I hit them. They're mad. We line up for faceoff and go score. And now they're really mad. So I can understand some of their emotions, but hey, I don't regret it. <laughs> Did you ever tell Mike Smith how many games he should be suspended for for hacking you? No, we've had, a, we've had our battles through the years. And that's what happens when you play in high stakes moments against the same guys over and over again. And he's been in the league. I mean, he's been in the league for just as long as I had. And always in our division, played for the Stars, played for, and now he's playing Edmonton. Um, so it's just one of those guys you battle against. So game six, I'm up in section 324, I think, sitting next to my dad. He and I have been going to games since I was, I don't know, a kid. Uh, it was the last game we went to together. Um, cried, you know, unbelievable night. How many times do people come up and tell you stories like that? So I think... Um, that's probably the one thing since I've announced and since I've retired. As a player, you're just focusing on what you got to do to be a better player. Every single day is just about getting better the next day or helping, like getting the team better. You're focused on a very specific thing, and that's just playing hockey. You don't notice all the, I mean, you, you feel the fans. I mean, I got the experience a year without fans, and you definitely 
It's all part of it, but you don't think about it. And then as I retired, a lot of these stories come out and then you start to realize like, I had a big moment for me with Sedin scoring the goal, a lot of iconic moments throughout these runs for a lot of different people. But then you start to realize like that moment was in my head, it was my moment, but for a lot of people, that's their moment, whether it's with their father who's passed on or their grandchildren or there's all these stories that I'm, and you start to realize the impact um, sports can have on a community. And uh, it's probably been one of the more rewarding things since I retired is hearing these stories because like I said, you don't have time to think about it when you're playing. But we had a special team there that I think um, the Kings have been just pining for a championship team. Like that's the feeling I've gotten from these stories is you have some people that have been waiting 45 years and then there's some people like, I'm 10, but my dad and me have been Kings fans my whole life. So it's like a really interesting dynamic and then you start to see the generational grandfathers sons sons and um yeah i just never realized the impact that you have on so many people well, on behalf of kings fans everywhere thank you <laughs> no it's been it's been rewarding to hear these because it's just like i said you really don't hear you don't really think about it you don't have time to think about it it's also just it's a little weird to think about like because when I think about that run, I just think about those 20 guys, like what I share with them. But it's like there's – it expands out in a million different directions, different branches. And you just don't really realize how much um, some of these moments meant to people you don't even know and will never know. So it's a pretty unique situation. Can we ask something about you? Sure, I'll do my best. All right. I'm just going to go right off the script we have when did you first meet Dustin Brown? Uh, I guess I won't answer that one. Uh, how would you describe what kind of leader you are? Hmm. I mean, I guess that's evolved over my career. Um, when I was probably the captain, I was more, I'm going to go out and show you what, I, I'm going to show up every day to work. Um, you're going to get the same me, whether I'm feeling good or feeling bad. Uh, I try to try to lead by example. Um, that was a unique situation when we had a bunch of really good leaders in that room, so I didn't have to take on so much as of the vocal uh, leadership. And I, I would talk and I would say things when I felt something needed to be said. Um, but I just really prided myself on playing the game hard every night. That way, if I can't bitch to any of my teammates if I'm not doing my thing, and that was my whole thing with everyone is like, you got to pull your weight around here. No one's here or there. There's no special rules. That was my biggest thing with that group. With all the groups that I've ever been a part of is team game. There's going on in your mind, and um, we all deal with that. That's part of being a professional athlete. We're trying to be the best we can be and get the best opportunity we can have. But good teams find ways to find pockets and meld together in a where it's uh, just about commitment to each other. The best way to show that is just getting on the ice and showing up to work every day. At your retirement press conference, you gave a 
about uh, the ball of energy. Mm -hmm. It's a great yeah. comment. I've heard lots of people talk about it. Um, where does that philosophy come from? Well, I've had some really hard moments in my career, personally. Um, the captain thing was really hard for me. And I remember having a point, like a, having, I was at a point where it's like, I got to make a decision. What do I want? And it's like, I could ask for a trade. I could, you know, just bow out and peace, see you later. I don't want to be a part of this. And I'm like, I, that's not really what I'm about. I don't like what's happened. I don't agree with what's happened, but I can either bitch and complain or I can figure out a way to help this team in whatever way that is going forward. Um, and that's where I really started thinking about that idea. And I think I, maybe in my press conference, I, it's kind of like every good quote you hear, there's always a context that's put in after. And it's like, I remember saying that and people bringing up the ball of energy. And um, there was a couple, a couple hard years for me. And it really taught me like, I'm just one little part of this team, regardless of whether I'm the best player or the worst player in between. It does not matter because, like, the game moves on. And I just remember thinking about that ball energy, and, man, there's been some days when I've taken the energy out. And that doesn't, in the moment, you're just being human. It's part of being a human. Um, and I just I always thought about those days when I was taking the energy, and I was like, man, you don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work this way. Like, we're not going to go anywhere if we're all taking energy. And that's kind of like where, when the captain thing happened, I was really, really pissed off, really upset. Um, but then I started talking to some of my teammates, and it was like, you're still you, you know? And uh, that really helped me. Um, so when I think about that, like, that idea is just, I kind of just believe that, like, this is a group thing. If you want to play individual sport, then it, the dynamics are completely different. But in this game, especially in this game, it's saw. I mean, you can't win without a really deep team. And I've been on teams where we have had players uh, that ball of energy, especially early on. We had people taking energy. All I, I didn't have this philosophy when I was. I was my philosophy was I want to make this team. I'm going to do anything. I, and if I have to run someone over in practice, that was my philosophy back then because I was a young hungry guy and once I established like I said I probably didn't really evolve to that type of thinking um, maybe in those championship years we had it maybe that's how I learned it is like we had a really good group I think that group taught me more than anything else how to how to lead the future groups and how I've kind of evolved into maybe a leader on the last few years here who's your team away from uh, my wife. She's my person, you know. So, um, I think, I mean, I have a lot of people that help me in my career, but in regards to hockey, trainers, all that sort of stuff, for sure they're a part of my team. But when I think, when you ask me well, who my team is, it's her. How big was she dealing with that? Oh, she'll hate me for saying this, but she's a fireball. She was like, F these guys, trade right now. Ask for a trade today. I'm a little more slow in my decision-making. Took my time. Wanted to think about what I really, truly felt. Um, yeah.
she she's one of those people you can't cross so she's still she, i'll i'll be honest with you, she's still mad today so i think she'll always be mad about that and that's just part of the reason she's on my team she's the captain of the team oh yeah you said when you got in uh, as a rookie you wanted to make the team and if you had to run people over to do it that was what you would do um among fans during the rookie season there was uh, somebody who came up with a little graphic you know like when a fighter pilot has one kills the x out on there yeah there was somebody who made a little graphic of every star player that you ran over with a little X through their jersey, and mm-hmm. I can't remember it was like five yeah. or six. Were you aware coming in your first couple games that you were um, every star player on the other team? It's weird because, like, I mean, I guess players have to kind of find their niche to make it. Some players, some players just are going to make it. They're really good hockey players. Um, but I remember coming out of junior, I was more of a, I was a power forward, goal scorer. But like, I was, I was physical, but not. But then I realized, oh, this. It's a different animal up here. I got to do something. Um, and I had the physical, the knack to hit well. So I just started doing it more. Um, I think what shocked me the most thing about that first year was maybe some of the names I was hitting, but like the fact that no one was coming after me. It was very strange. Like I remember playing with George Peros at the time. He was there my first or second year. And he goes, I don't understand. You like will kill somebody. And like no one even comes after you. I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind it, but. I don't understand it either, but um, yeah, there were some pretty big. I remember some players got really mad, especially being a young young guy. Same way way I'd be feeling if someone knocked me on my ass, like a young guy coming up now. Um, it's kind of I always remember that, and I actually kind of a end of the story is I just saw Jimmy Hughes a couple of weeks ago in Detroit with my son. He's the father of Quinn and Jack Hughes. And he coached me in Manchester, and he said, I'm so glad you retired. I also, thank you. He's like, now you won't run Quinn over. I said, it's funny you say that, because I remember Quinn coming up in Vancouver. And he's, everyone was talking about this kid, like he's going to be really good. And I just always, I've always had this thing with younger, especially defensemen, because that's who I'm lined up against. I always, always had this thing. Whereas if it's the first game I'm playing against you, I'm going to hit you every single time. And I remember I hit him really hard. It flew him out of the – went flying on the ice. And uh, I always did that to the a player like Quinn. Because it's like I do this to you one game, you're going to be like, he's going to do this every game. And then it's eventually you start just getting rid of the puck before I even get near you. And then my job's way easier for the rest of the time I have to play you. But it's just really funny thinking about that because I still try to – Depending on the player, I'll still try to run you for a game just so you don't. Have, I don't have to deal with you for a while. But it was different back then. Then I was trying to make a name for myself. Now I was just trying to let these little let these younger kids know who I am. You know. When we talked to all your teammates about that 2012 Cup run, the Sedin hit came up, and for every guy, there was a different way of describing what you you know the hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Said. Is there a phrase that you prefer when you're talking about a big hit, blow somebody up, annihilate? What's the... Um, I mean, there's lots of funny words, but I think with that, that hit, um, it was like a... I mean, it was... The word that comes to mind is Chris because I hit him. It was like a perfect timing and 
those hits, like, I've had hits where I, like, crush a guy, but, like, God damn it, that, I'm, that hurt me a lot. That one, no. It was like I hit him, he went down, I didn't feel a thing. Got Copia's first career NHL fight, maybe his only career NHL fight. I'm like, this was a good day. It was one of those hits that just feels good instantly. And then given the moment, the situation, and I'll be honest with you, that, this is no disrespect to any other, but if that's someone else, the impact is still there, but maybe not quite. I think it's partly who I hit that made it such a big moment for both teams. And people, that kind of gets lost in the mix. It's like, I hit a pretty good player, really important player. And uh, that just changes the dynamic of that moment, I think. You're known for big hits, but there's also moments like you putting the hat on the helmet after the hat trick goal or unfortunately uh, holding the water bottle upside down that's now in yes. forever. How do you balance uh, those public perceptions? Of well, the water bottle incident, that's a really funny story because I did it in, I think I was in, we were in St. Louis and I had Stoli on my left and Rick on my right or maybe switched around and I remember I did it and I kind of go, did anybody see that? No one saw it. Perfect. I'm going to put this water bottle down. I'm, this is going to be perfect and no one's going to know about this. Then we got to Dallas like that. We went to Dallas the next day and I remember we were in Dallas the next day because they have this TV in this little room that's been still the same room and it was on PTI the blooper reel or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know at this point that I, this is a thing. I mean, this is 2000. I don't know when that happened. Like social media, all that stuff is not what it is today. And I'm thinking I got skated through this nice and clean. And it's like, oh, we have a team stretch and it's, we're watching PTI. And it's like, oh, huh, now the whole team knows. And then the hat thing with the hat trick, I think that just kind of happened. Um, but I think when the captaincy thing happened, I kind of, in the hockey world, it was, but then I realized, wow, <laughs> when th- something happens to you very publicly, you feel like the whole world is watching you. And as time goes on, you realize people are just living their own lives, worrying about whatever problem they have that day. Uh, they care. I'm not saying they don't care. People care. But it's like, no one's going to care as much as me about this. That kind of made me start to just kind of laugh at stuff. Whether it's serious or funny, um, I think that's what really taught me to just laugh at myself a lot. And I think that's really helped me from that moment on, is be, having the idea that I can laugh at myself. It, it's always a, a really good exercise to have and a really good exercise to do because we all, t- I think we all take ourselves too serious and I was taking myself way too seriously in that time frame granted I was emotional pissed off didn't like it but it taught me a big lesson that I used for the rest of my career and um, I think helped me be a better leader with a lot of these kids that are out here now there was a state of the franchise event I think it was 2018 you came up you were on stage and you spoke to the crowd and I will never forget that moment me it was the most introspective and self-aware I had ever heard an active professional athlete he was incredibly vulnerable and insightful and I was tremendously impressed and I always wondered where that insight came from and how you were able 
reach that point because it was incredibly, like I said, vulnerable, self-aware. I mean, you talked about the importance of uh, process or the result and your own self-image. I mean, it was, it was great. Was that a journey to get to that point? Yeah, I think I've evolved as a player and as a, quite honestly, as a human, how I think about things. Um, when you're young and you're coming in the league, I mean, you just think about like what happens on the ice. So I can go out there, do your job, earn your spot. Um, like I said, when you go through some, some of the things that I went through was obviously very public um, with the captain thing. I think that whole episode really changed me probably for the better as a person just taught me to not take myself so seriously like I just said and when you you have that ability you start to look at the things as for what they are I think about that um, I remember I'd started doing a lot of reading at that point just different ideas different ways to think about things that helped but it was just knowing that um You know, not having the C, it was a really important honor for me. But not having it didn't change the impact that I could have on this team. Things like that started to click in my mind, especially once I got through that initial phase. And then um, you just start seeing the world differently sometimes when you kind of go through one of those really painful experiences, especially in a professional public manner. Is there anything about 2003, Dustin? I mean, if you take away, like, clothes, I think every person I can look back at some point in their life like, wow, that's terrible. Um, but I think the core of who I am, I think, probably rubbed some, some of the guys is probably the wrong way when I was young because I just did things a little differently sometimes. I had a girlfriend when I was 18. I didn't drink a lot. I, these are the things that were just part of who I am. And if you understood that, you we were cool. And if you didn't, then, oh, well. Maybe I rubbed some guys the wrong way when I was younger. Just got pretty reserved, pretty set in my ways. But um, looking back, I, I came in and just tried to make a name for myself the best way I knew how and I didn't think too much about uh, didn't, I didn't think too much period back then probably is what I'm getting at and then as you, you go through some life experiences you understand more um, but I always say you're, you're looking back in time and judging whether it's clothes or how you behave it's, that's the idea is you're learning you're getting better you're behaving or not behaving you're just getting better every day whether it's on the ice or as a person, it's, if I looked back and said there was nothing wrong with 2003 Dustin Brown, I'm sure there's plenty of things. But I am felt like I've grown every year since I've been here. Last one for me. Can you still do magic tricks? I am a little rusty. It's one of those things. I can do them, but it's like I can't do them nearly as well. Um, 
that's like one of those early career things. Like Greener always tells a story about us. We were at like a world championship thing and we got stuck in a snowstorm in Boston airport. Uh, he always tells the story best because he's a really good storyteller. But he's like, yeah, I met Dustin at the airport. And he's like, oh, Dustin Brown, nice to meet you. You want to see a magic trick? And that's his story. And I, always, I did magic tricks for him for like two hours. And that was like the first time, first time I think me and Greener met. was We were like 15, 16 years old in a Boston airport. Which kind of makes me uh, think about their question from a little while ago about um, people who probably don't get enough credit. For me personally, he's the number one guy on my list because uh, he helped me personally. When I was captain, he was Kobe was my right hand man, but Greener Greener took care of a lot of the that I I didn't really want to have to do. I mean, I've told this to him privately, but he's always been one of those guys I just have. Mm, That's nice to have, especially when you're, you know. there's a lot of pressure with the cabinetcy, and he relieved a lot of it for me. Right, a lot. This is going to be the last one since you brought up Matt Green. Uh, I'm led to believe that he and Jared Stoll are responsible for the event at Paranea. Uh, what does it say about those two guys uh, that they would think to do that, put that on, and uh, how was it to see everybody? It was, it was really fun. It was really awesome. Um, just a lot of really good memories. I mean, that's the thing about... Uh, Kind of the thing about great teams is like we have that one year where we had a really good team, did something really special for this organization and kind of probably the most important thing is set the standard for what the culture should be like. I still feel like that's the biggest contribution that whole era has given this organization is just the culture. And I remember the day... I don't know if it was the day we traded. I don't think it was the day. It couldn't have been the day we traded for them. But we were out here at TSC. I was, at this point, it was 2007. And we didn't have team workouts like what they have now. It was just me by myself with a trainer. And we were doing sprints on the roller rink. And I remember Dean coming out. He goes, what do you know about Matt Green? And it's like in a Dean way. And I, I, I don't know. Played with him a few times. Really good dude. Really big human. <laughs> He's like, Okay. We ended up trading for him like the next day. I always say that was probably the beginning. We talk about like me getting drafted, Kobe, Quickie, all those people are pieces, but I think our team started when we made that trade. From like being here prior to that trade and being here to today. A lot of people talk about Mike Richards and Jeff Carter, and those are huge trades, but I think the start of that championship pedigree was when we got those two guys. Kind of what I just said about Greener. I actually texted him about a week after that. I said, thanks for putting this on. I was like, "This, I appreciate you guys putting this on, but I also appreciate the fact that you two guys did this for me while I was captain. Because they were, that's what I was getting at. They were team party, Halloween party, Christmas party, rookie dinner, all these sorts of things. Like, I was like, you guys figure it out. You guys are in control. And they would always take the bull by the horns for me. Just give me a little less to worry about. So that was always a huge, huge help. It allowed me to do my job better um, every year. It was really, really, really good for me to have that type of group and that type of support around me when I was, uh, for the good times, but also, and more importantly, through the, some of the roughest times I've had. Is it safe to assume getting your number in the Raptors wasn't something you ever thought would happen? 
I've had this question just by friends and family, and it's one of those questions that's like, you don't set out to have your number retired or have anything like that. You set out just to be the best you can be, and I think with consistency, some things like that can happen for people. It's a it's a weird feeling, to be honest with you, just especially with a team sport where we won two championships, and it was purely because we had good teams. We had some good, we have good players, but we had great teams when we won. So to be kind of recognized individually is awkward for hockey players, I think, in general. But again, it's just not something, it's not like in 2003. Well, I guess that would be the problem. If 2003 Dustin Brown said, I'm going to have my number retired, that would have been a problem for me right now. Because you don't think like that. You think I want to play in the NHL. It's my dream. I want to play as long as I can, and I want to win. If you do that long enough and you win enough, Sometimes you have to deal with being honored, and it's sometimes very uncomfortable for me, especially in this regard. It's very proud of it, but it's nothing you ever expect.